0: I can't find a seconder usually when I propose this, but I don't care, I don't need a seconder. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this
1: can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass.
2: So that's our new intro. You like that, Paul? Uh, Yeah, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Christopher Hitchens from the grave. I think he's been in the ground about eight years. So first things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct Rule 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. My name is Harry Still, Backwoods Southern Lawyer. My partner, Paul Rip is here with me today and uh i guess you guys can see him can we see can we see rains and all his ridiculousness <laughs> so uh how you doing rains rains is uh on his chromebook today
3: oh yeah enjoying this uh official chromebook podcast edition of the backstory podcast i'm uh, very happy with it using the google hangouts and, uh, wearing my Soviet sailor's uniform today to
2: commemorate red October. What, what the hell is that all about? <laughs>
3: all right, uh, shoot, man. Just know when somebody says, are you a veteran? I say, yes. They say, what were you in? I said, the Navy. They said, what ship do you serve on? Krajni Akhtyabra Komrad Tovarich, you know, I didn't say I was in the U.S. Navy.
2: That's more effective than picking your nose to get rid of an unwanted uh, conversation, I find, if you Absolutely. say you're in the Russian Navy. So, uh, welcome to our home. Um, that's where we are today. We had hoped to be in our new uh, at our new location, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the address. It's the Van Buren Building in Daphne, right off 98, uh, 28720, Highway 98, Suite 3. Um. So if you're looking for us, that's where we move to. So, Paul, I'm going to let you kick things off today. Why don't you give us a topic and go for it?
1: Okay. Well, uh, first of all, let me say Merry Christmas. Hope everybody had a good one. New Year's coming up. I want you to know that uh, the RIP Report is a uh, nonprofit consumer association. We particularly pay attention to political corruption. You can get us on Backstory through YouTube, Facebook, and SoundCloud. And we encourage you greatly to send us any information you have. A lot of the information that we have comes to us anonymous. So we would like to hear from you on uh, something maybe we cover or we don't cover. Um, The first thing up Want me to go with the first thing up on this?
2: Yeah, talk about Baldwin County Sewer Service, Paul. Uh,
1: as as you know, Baldwin County. Now this is going back to mm-hmm. the um, land yap articles. You know, we do a lot off the land yap articles. Uh, one of the things that uh, people ask us all the time is, how do I get a land yap? Uh, you can go to land yap and ask for their dist- find their distribution list, and it can tell you where you can pick it up in. Your municipality.
2: Greer's and Baymanette's where I get mine. <clears throat> right.
1: Fair hope there's many different areas. Uh, but you can get it all over the county, and you're probably going to get it a lot more uh, coming up this next year in 2020. The One of the two articles that I want to mention, uh, first of all, was a couple of weeks ago. I've been out three weeks now, uh, is the, uh, another Lanyap article. This is by Gabe Times, Settlement Agreement, Private Sewer. A uh, provider puts a 35-year restraint on the public utility. And this is a 10-year-old lawsuit over water and sewer service territory in central Baldwin County. It uh, was particularly settled last month after the defendant, the pu- publicly owned East East Central Baldwin Water Authority. So we
2: call it ECBC. It's East Central Baldwin Water Sewer and Fire Protection Authority. Right. It's a mouthful. ECBC.
1: Yeah, and they entered into a 35-year settlement agreement one of the, with one of the plaintiffs, which happens to be Baldwin County Sewer. The two other plaintiffs down in Somerdale and the city of Robertsdale were working on separate settlements in the case, although Somerdale Mayor... David Wilson told Lanyap its claims will likely go to trial. Uh, The suit was based on a pair of amendments uh, that ECBWA made to its Articles of Incorporation in 2002 and 2008, both of which were approved by the county commission. The first enlarged and expanded the service territory to exclude almost one-third of the county, and the second allowed the utility to introduce the sewer service a move both the city right. and so, the
2: town objected to. So I need to interject. Sure. All right. So nobody gave a crap about any of these people out in this area. Um, there were people who were not being serviced by Robertsdale, Somerdale, Alberta, or at least that was the allegation. Right. And so the old Risington Water Authority came to the county commission and said, uh, we want to expand our territory, made the proper application, uh, i think what they're alleging in this lawsuit is is that they lied that the the uh, uh, application was untruthful and that there was adequate service in that area of course Paul you and i both know what's happening out there now why do they when did they when did they file the lawsuit on this thing
1: uh oh, this was filed like 10 years ago
2: yep but it but the you said 2002 and 2008 when the amendments were made, but the lawsuit wasn't filed until.
1: Oh, I'm not sure. A decade is. later, correct?
2: Because correct. the because the Beach Express is going through there, right? Right. So now we're shoulder now we're shouldering other people out from the table, and what's telling to me is, um, that the only person that they settled with was Baldwin County
1: Sewer Service. Yeah. Well. In another twist to the same article on the settlement agreement, uh, Baymanet Mayor Bob Wills, an attorney who represented ECBWA throughout the case and the Baldwin County Commission at the same time during the period of the 2002 amendment that was approved, was disqualified from continuing to represent the defendant in the late November order by Judge Stankowski.
2: All right, so just imagine. Now, boys and girls, it's one damn time I need my map. Where's my map, Paul? Oh. Uh, so everything east of the Bowen Beach Express, north of Alberta, all the way up to Baymanette. So um, not only was Mr. Wills potentially a witness, but he potentially had another conflict in that because he is the mayor, he's also on North Bond Utility Board, which we've talked about ad nauseum, and um, they have a co jurisdiction line where he might have a conflict. Correct. So there, he's got several conflicts. But anyway, and I who who removed him from the case? Well, in
1: August, Summerdale Attorney uh, James Curriton. I hope I pronounced <laughs> Curington. Right. Curington. Yeah. Uh, argued uh, Will should be disqualified based on a rule against a lawyer serving as a witness. Uh, such dual representation, what you're talking about, has resulted Which is
2: in, hardly the reason he should have been removed.
1: Well, that's what, you know, this would be in light, has resulted in Mr. Wills having to be an advocate and being called as a necessary witness at trial. The attorney quoted, Mr. Wills is the most material witness in the case due to his admission that the expanded territory approved by the county commission approved ECBWA to encroach into the municipal limits and municipal service areas that were being serviced by municipal uh, municipalities already. And a letter from the Alabama State Bar, which is rare, to Wills, in August reached the same conclusion. Wills did not return any messages seeking uh, or making any comment on that story. Then immediately this next week, this last week, uh, again, an article written by Gabe Times says pay up records indicate sewer owner has a history of tax liens, and you know it seems like Baldwin County Sewer. We're finding more and more and more about this every time. Which now, is
2: we, so. So let's talk about that for a second, right, because sure. in the, uh, so back when we talked about the straw man, uh, that might have been the first episode. Correct, it was. Um, there was a forensic accounting done, and it turns out that all this while everybody was operating un, under the assumption that Mr. Burke was the majority shareholder in Baldwin County Sewer Service LLC. But according to their forensic accountant, is he is no longer, and this is more evidence of why he's having to sell off shares. Well, well, it, it, theoretically, he's, he's trading shares for something, uh, um, and it looks like he's got money trouble, and uh, which is one of the one of the reasons why the public service commission should get down here and regulate. Absolutely, absolutely, and
1: since. Uh... Uh, Since uh, 1997, Baldwin County Sewer Service has had imposed income tax liens of more than $7.1 million. That's since
2: 1997. Imagine what their bottom line would be if they had to pay for the use of the county right-of-ways.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, another striking thing is that Burke and a number of the business partners and other companies formed over the years of land acquisition and development, purposes repaid more than $36 in defaulted mortgages in 2015 and 2016, and that was after Hancock Bank filed a lawsuit to recoup its losses. But one of the telling things that uh, Backstory Factoid, uh, and that's what we're trying to do in Backstory is link some of these things all together. What I found is very interesting is that uh, when they break down who owns what of Baldwin County sewer... Uh, The very last person is John Avant and his wife, Olivia, were assigned a 2% interest in the company doing business as Southern Avant LLC in 2013. Now, Mr. Avant is the same business partner that is linked up with Councilman Kevin Boone with uh, Fairhope City Council, and we went back and tracked many of the the LLCs that they were involved in uh, of which some have been erased now but and it, it's striking is striking when you read the straw man you read the settlement you read these tax liens at the extent of uh, Baldwin County sewer uh, is in one is in court for one thing after another now one thing that uh, is going to make it easier if you are really interested In the county, and you're interested in the sewer and you want to take part in this and understand it. For more information on the subject, it's all been put in a series by Lanyap. So you can go to Lanyap Mobile, one word, Lanyapmobile.com, forward slash series, forward slash BCSS. And you can pick up these articles all the way from the straw man down. And What should happen is every one of the county commissioners should be presented with that link, and they should be responsible enough to read all of these problems uh, because what we're being told by Baldwin County Sewer is that, I mean by the commission, sorry, is that uh, any regulation has to be legislatively done. And that may be true, but with everything that's coming out, Baldwin County commissioners, could put a moratorium on anything to do with the sewer until they get the sewer regulation done. Now that would be looking after the consumers. Uh, Mr. Burke uh, spends most of his time in Costa Rica, which should be of concern to
2: people as well. All right, so I'm going to talk about something very unpopular. You ready? You out there, rains? I'm here. <laughs> You and I talked about this on Skype the other night when we did a little dry run. And I want to start out by saying that I put this on Facebook so that we could have a reasonable discussion about it. And I don't want anybody to think that given my posture uh, and recent uh, run-ins with the sheriff of Baldwin County, I don't want anybody to think I'm anti-law enforcement from the jump. But... I posted this to Facebook, and I'm just going to read it. Um, I want to have a reasonable discussion about these laws, and these laws, this law in particular, I'm calling the Blue Lives Matter law, and it's been proposed by uh, Chris Elliott. Um, And I said, I want to have a reasonable discussion about these laws. I've been under the impression that it was high time to repeal hate crime slash thought crime penalty enhancement laws. For 200 years, we live in the country where the resulting harm was the measure of a crime and the prosecution could express to the court during sentencing their perceived motives and ask for a harsher penalty. Instead, we're adding a profession as a protected class. I don't understand the concept. I don't know why. Crimes against the police are prosecuted from the public square by each district attorney like they were a damn bulldog judges give them the harshest senses and rightly so to me it's like when a democrat proposes a new gun law that criminals don't care what the penalty is just the law abiters who wouldn't harm a police officer in the first place so i think it's cheap political theatrics that accomplish nothing alabama already has an aggravator Which makes the killing of a police officer, sheriff's deputy, state trooper, corrections officer, even a plainclothes officer, if they were killed in the line of duty, even if the assailant was unaware that he was a police officer. And this is codified under the Code of Alabama, Section 13A540-5. So, it's congratulations, you get the needle plus five years. Or are we saying that toilet paper in the police chief's yard is now tantamount to burning a cross in the yard of a minority? You should check out the misdemeanor enhancements that are, that are automatic and not within the, the discretion of the court as to whether or not to impose them. This is how your civil liberties arose, by thunderous applause. Giving Chris Elliott the ability to legislate is like giving an 8-year-old eight eight year nephew a loaded forty four magnum for Christmas. Um.
1: So that article. I'm sorry. That all that article.
2: Oh yeah, and so who, who was it that wrote this article? Uh, Paul John, John Sharp wrote that. So and and I, I I kind of wanted to give my spin on it, and and you can pick it up from there. But um, you know, I believe we have a video, don't we, Nick? So I'm gonna I'm gonna show you guys a little uh, snippet of a video. This guy's name is James Jacobs. He's professor of law at where? Reigns? Oh, uh, I don't know Duke. Everybody's from Duke. Everybody I find that's a good resource is from Duke. I don't know why. And uh, the name of the of the uh, video or the speech he gave at the Heritage Foundation. Do you know who funds the Heritage Foundation? Reigns? Nope. The Koch brothers, the, you know, Republicans. So, uh, anyway, the name of his speech is Why Hate Crimes Are Unnecessary and Undesirable. And it's a it was a very unpopular opinion when he had it back, I think it was seven years ago when he gave this speech. But uh, we're going to roll it for you, and uh, we'll be right back. Go for it
0: the crimes that that cause the most uh, anxiety in the society are murders, you know, and rapes and brutal beatings, right? I mean, that's what, you know, and those crimes already are punishable by life imprisonment or capital punishment. There's nothing more that we can do, you know, short of breaching the torture, you know, line. There's no, there's no more punishment. Now, some states have uh, especially uh, texas i don 't know what you, what 's done in North Carolina what, one thing they 've done is that they, they sentence people to hundreds of years of imprisonment and they don 't they, they don't stop at a natural lifetime you know fifty years they go to three hundred people get uh, punishments like three hundred years, six hundred years of imprisonment i mean that 's kind of a symbolic uh, a symbolic response, but where the hate crime laws. If they were going to have an effect, they would have an effect more on low-level offenses, where there, where you could do more, you know, you could, where there was some room at the top. So, I, when I was writing my book, I looked at the New York criminal. Right
2: about now. All right, Paul, go for it.
1: All right, <clears throat> uh, the John Sharp wrote an article in uh, the Press Register uh recently and it was can hate crime law protect the police um i'm like harry uh for a brief time in the marine corps i served in the military police so i truly have a how'd that go for you oh yeah that was that was fun <laughs> a lot of evidence go missing oh yeah yeah a lot of bar fights we had to break up but but anyway i, I without police you don't have any control you have to have police absolutely and it it disturbs me the um uh the way people treat police particularly being pulled over or something they don't have any you know there's no respect in some cases and i hate that but going back to the hate crime law and everything what this is this is a political thing this is a political thing uh, by senator chris elliott and the sheriff's department, and what should be backstory—the she, sheriff's association. The sheriff's association. The backstory factoid about this is that Chris Elliott's wife works for the sheriff's department. But anyway, in the article, uh, <laughs> some scholars on the hate crime subject also doubt the merits of the approach. Uh, comma, Her- uh, uh, Chavez, director of the criminal uh, justice program at Wake. Forest University School of Law in North Carolina said that range. You
2: don't know where they are because they're ACC team.
1: Go ahead. <laughs> said that the hate crime provisions is mostly a political tactic. Exactly what I'm saying. She pointed out that in some states, such as Alabama, the killing of a law uh, law officer on the line of duty is already an aggravated factor punishable by the death penalty, and she suggests, and I totally agree, it's not a way to honor law enforcement or first responders. Uh, She's saying that there are ways that are far more meaningful to honor these uh, men and women with higher pay, uh, better working conditions, maybe better insurance, maybe a separate fund that is already set up prior to someone losing their life to where they could help their families. It shouldn't be a political stunt that's meant to enhance the state senator and the sheriff's department. So there.
2: So rains. It's <laughs> my understanding that if Alabama passed this law, we would be the fourth, third state. Wait. Four. Louisiana, Kentucky. Who am I forgetting? Texas. Texas. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, So, so we'd be the the fourth. uh, Texas already has these enhancements. Tell us about them.
3: Well, Texas, Louisiana. Louisiana led the charge on it. Uh, Governor pushed for that bill uh, to make crimes against law enforcement, you know, give it a hate crime enhancement on the state level. And two days later, two officers shot a kid in Baton Rouge, and the city rioted. And, they made hundreds and hundreds of arrests and they tried to prosecute all of them under that state um, with that enhancement and guess what? Guess how many convictions they got? Zero. None. Because it's all politically motivated. You know why you know why Alabama needs a enhancement for uh, you know crimes against police officers? No sir. Because of all the because of all the hate crimes. You know how many hate crimes were reported in Alabama in 2018 according to the FBI?
2: 0 Zero. Yeah, I thought exactly. it was zero. Zero. But every, time, but every time a cop gets elbowed when he's putting a drunk in the handcuffs, what, the, the aggravator for a misdemeanor is three months. That's a well, long time. What would your life be like if you went to jail for three months when you got I mean, out?
3: I went to jail for three days one time. My wife was shopping for divorce lawyers. So, shit, yeah, I can't imagine
2: Three months.
3: Good grief. Well, well, does Alabama have the um, the felony for phone harassment?
2: That's a good question. People are, in,
3: in Texas, we have a law know. that that, and Mississippi as well has a law that, you know, repeated instances of, se- of, of telephone harassment in any way, shape or form can be upgraded to a felony in court if they can prove a, a, a pattern. So imagine this.
2: We just have a misdemeanor harassment communication statute, but hell, there could be something I'm not
3: aware of now. Calls the police chief in the town and raises hell with them four or five times in a month. That police chief gets tired of taking that phone call. He can charge them with a hate crime now. Now, what in the world is that going to do for anybody? Nothing. I am not anti-police. I am Fervently for law enforcement, I always have been. Like I, I said, that's them.
2: why the car is unlocked in my driveway. Exactly because of the police. I
3: for cops, I've always been for cops. I got a lot of good friends and loved ones who are police and law enforcement officers, first responders as well. I'm a first responder myself. But we don't, you know, you don't get to hang your uniform if you're somebody who needs coverage by a hate crime statute. You can't take off your badge. And go drinking this weekend and not have to worry about it. I mean, the people, the, the, the classes and the, the subclasses that are protected by hate crime laws, they, they need protection.
2: Well, and let's talk yeah. about this for a second in Alabama. So this bill was proposed last year and State Senator Vivian Figures included an amendment to this bill that would. So Alabama hate crime law is not inclusive of gay people. Right. If you can imagine that, so the yeah. whole premise of the hate tr- crime law legislation was, um, of course, it grew out of the women's movement and the gay rights movement, and it progressed into uh, employment law first, and then uh, these hate crime ideas came along, where we're uh, not only is the mens rea a component of the motive, but it, it can also be used in the in the sentencing of someone. Um right. It. it I'm with you. I don't see any benefit. The, There's
3: no benefit at all because, like you said before, laws so, only regulate
2: law-abiding people. So, so the so the feds when they did this, or the Congress when they did it, the idea was that we have these backwater POS states like Alabama and Mississippi. No offense, uh, Texas, Louisiana, <laughs> no, some no of the, some places like this, and um. Gay people are being beat to death, and nobody's doing anything about it. Or somebody's burning a cross in in a minority's yard, and it's being considered uh, simple vandalism. Uh, We need to do something to protect these people because the people in those states, the legislators in those states aren't protecting them, okay? So that's where this grew out of. And um, I think it's, you know, you go back to the Equal Protection Clause. How in the world, when you say if somebody came in and killed me and Paul, why would it matter if Paul didn't have a damn left arm? You know, uh, handicapped people are covered under the hate crime statute. And right. I guess uh, if they go back to your MySpace page where you shared a NWA uh, video in 1998, they got you on the hook for being anti law enforcement.
3: Well, it's. This thing has been crafted and I like the way you put it when we talked about it the other day. This legislator is tap dancing on the grave of a dead law enforcement officer and trying to rile up his and a base. good man. It's, I mean, I,
2: I've never heard anything but good things about the sheriff of Lowndes County. Just a just a quality, a, fine
3: man. You wave the flag and you rile up your base because your base is not pro law enforcement. They're anti-criminal. Well, and so they far the flag pro law enforcement because they're anti-criminal. And what does anti-criminal come down to? Nobody likes to say it, but everybody knows when they take a breath to shout it out, there is a racial and socioeconomic undertone. Well, they're they va- okay. v- vocally pro law enforcement.
2: Well, also but, well, but that that doesn't hold water because you could have a devil worshiper working for the damn. <laughs> Police department, you you see what I'm getting at?
3: Absolutely. You know why? Because cops don't care. Cops don't care who's got a Blue Lives Matter sticker on their car. They're going to treat everybody the way they're t- trained to treat
2: people. Well, they should.
3: Right and rightly so. You know, it used to be back in the in the '60s if you had a an Alabama governor's staff placard on the back of your car, you know, for contributing more than a hundred dollars to the governor's race, the cops would see that and be like, "All right, I'm not going to pull that guy over." But that kind of that doesn't hold water anymore. Nobody does that. It comes down to you're railing up a political base, all right, and that's what you're doing. You're waving a blue flag, and the cops look at it and go, "I swear to God, I hope that guy's got a warrant out for him because I'm finna arrest him." Somebody waving that damn flag like that, because cops are there to do a job. Cops are there to protect us. Firefighters are there to protect us. They're there to do a job. They don't. They don't dig on all this hero worship. That's not their bag. They're out there risking their lives, man. They don't care about what you think about crime statistics and whatnot.
2: Okay, so uh, that was one of the other things. Uh, Louisiana covered all first responders. Alabama's bill would only cover law enforcement. And hell, I got that. And then it would come back
1: and later on, it would come back and want to add this and add that. But you know, this this does go right back to. uh, Senator Elliott, since he's been in there, has had a, um, <laughs> a more than tarnished uh, reputation. And all he's trying to do is polish it up a little bit with the help of the sheriff. Yep. And, right. and if I were the police, like you said, if I were the police, I'd be a little annoyed myself and say, hey, there's a much better way if you want to do this than, uh, than this. You know, we're no, We don't feel comfortable just promoting you guys. It's political. It's totally political. It's,
3: and it's Absolutely political. And if I was a law enforcement officer, I'd be upset that somebody is, is tap dancing on my badge and stumping on my badge that I get out there and get behind every damn day because I've never met an off duty cop. Have you?
2: No. No. Never <laughs> met, not. Never met a fire a marine. Every day. So, Rains, what if I told you that the Ninth Circuit, uh, Federal Circuit, has said the an expression of distaste for police is protected speech. In other words, if I were to hold out my hand and only use the middle digit, um, that's protected speech. Well, now it's probably ill-advised protected. speech.
3: I I wouldn't advise anybody doing that, but I think what laws, what the actual laws are designed to do is not protect people who want to wave a sign that says F the police. Because right. That's protected under the First Amendment. But they do want to protect somebody that says I'm going to target Sergeant Whitaker of the Baymanet Police Department and I'm going to go after him because I got a personal grudge against him and I'm going to use his uniform against him. That's what the hate crime law should be about. OK, if there be one at all. But like I said, it's just political theater. You go after a cop, buddy, you're getting the dirt. You are getting they gonna throw you under the jail. Exactly. So what's and
2: Chris Elliott's bill do? Give you the needle plus five years?
3: It's ridiculous. It's Ed? just it's a stupid enhancement. It's a stupid play. I hate it. And I hope the, the voters of Alabama understand how ridiculously what what kind of groundwork this lays. And that they can make it to where it is a capital offense to speak out against anybody. Because all of this stuff, all of these things that these political strategists, myself included think up on a regular basis is chess not checkers and these guys politicians think well i'm just going to throw this out there and get reelected." you don't realize that you may be putting out a law that'll make it a, a hate crime in 2027 to speak against the u.s government in any way <laughs> or to speak against the, the the state of alabama you know god forbid they're going to end up charging that guy that killed the trees at Toomer's Corners with a hate crime by 2025 if it keeps going this way.
2: And this is what I'm saying. It shouldn't matter what the motive was. It should be the resulting harm, and everybody should be treated equally under the criminal law. Well, let me ask you this. All these school teachers that are putting their lives at risk going to work at a school that doesn't have a school resource officer like my mother did for 50 damn years or however long she taught. You know, why don't we protect them, Reigns? I think we should include them.
3: You know why we don't protect them? You know why there's no legislation to protect teachers? Because teachers gotta don't get sell votes at the ballot box. But Blue Lives Matter does. That's true. That's on the, that's on the front page of every Bye-bye. social media and
2: everything else. Well, and Paul wasn't your anywhere, and you had a you had an angle on that too, right? Uh, What's that uh, on the Blue Lives Matter bill?
1: Well, no, I was more, you know, I commented more on what you're talking about right there. It just annoys me that uh, you know politics are used this way. It's the same way
2: with veterans. Well, listen to this, man. No, Will better. Amesworth, uh, our lieutenant governor, wants to propose a bill that puts you in the fast track, like the Texas electric chair fast track. Yeah, I I, I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I'm a I'm just some dumbass lawyer, so I don't understand exactly what he's talking about. But I'm sure he's going to get it all worked out, and you know, it's it's going to be perfect, like everything else he does. <laughs>
3: Paul, Paul brought it up, and I'd like him to finish what he was saying about the, the, the current political climate. They use veterans the same way. Well, no, that – not 100
1: good on that either. That absolutely drives me insane and when I go to city council meetings and they call veterans up there and they fly the flag and say the Pledge of Allegiance and talk about veterans and this and that. But you let one of those veterans come back to that council with a bitch where he wants to complain and he'll be treated, you know, exactly. horribly.
2: So, range that's something you and I talked about, and I think we need to get it out of the way. Um, the hero worship aspect of it.
3: I'm absolutely against it, and I, I think mean, there's a long line of veterans out there that are staying with me on it.
2: Well, I, I, and I don't necessarily mean, uh, uh, you know, veterans so much as I do first responders. First responders as well. I mean, I'm, when you were when we were kids, um, you know, uh, Jimmy's daddy was a police officer. Yeah. So and so's yeah. daddy was a dentist. So and so, you know, it wasn't like he's a police officer. You see what I'm getting at? I mean it it's, yeah, it's turned into it's gone from a profession never, to some kind of heroic, um. I don't know, I, and sometimes, and and that's the thing. We had a couple of cops in this town that did some real heroic stuff, and people treated them as such, right?
3: Yeah, but that's the thing is that every law enforcement officer ain't a hero, officer,
2: and, a, and every firefighter didn't way. run into a building, and nobody
3: uh, goes out there and says I'm going to be a hero today, and, and every, everybody says,
2: and, and, and every daughter. lawyer didn't steal a lollipop from some little kid's mouth, uh, you know. Nor did, nor did he. Uh, Shower people with gifts this Christmas holiday season. You, you see what I'm getting at. I mean, yeah. it's just people, right? It's people,
3: but it's political. And you can wager it. Like I said before, there are undertones to everything they use when it regards veterans, when it regards responders. It makes me absolutely sick. Absolutely sick when I'd see politicians in Mississippi standing up, thank you, veterans, thank you for all this, and then go to the the, the, to the House and shoot down a bill that would increase funding for veterans' mental health. Correct. That burns my ass. Don't you do that. I'll call you out in a heartbeat for it. Or, you want to pal- wave the Lives Matter flag? You better vote yes on every single pay raise that comes before the city council. The, the that's right. Committee.
2: Let's give let's give them some more money. Let's uh, set up a benevolence fund, uh, fund, and uh, you know help the families if there's a fallen police officer, far or a first more responder,
1: far more significant <laughs>
2: as opposed to this bill that doesn't do anything, makes it uh, put, potentially has a, a, a lot of uh, potential infringement on the First Amendment. Exactly.
3: it comes down to, if you write a blank check against civil rights, somebody's going to cash it. Yep. And it doesn't matter if it comes from a hate crime statute. It doesn't matter if it comes from a campaign rally, you give somebody a blank check on civil rights, they're going to catch it at some point.
2: I agree. And, I'm against- and, and just so, and I don't know, if, I don't guess, you know, KK, and I'm not going to say his name, but that's his nickname. One of my best friends is a law enforcement officer, like best of friends. And, uh, anyway, he got injured in the line of duty. He, he used his, uh, his truck to stop a guy who'd stolen a car, physically used his truck to stop him. And he was injured. he was, he was hurt pretty bad. Um, so yeah. So maybe we need some, uh, enhanced workman's comp for these guys when they get hurt or whatever. But the idea that we're going to have some kind of uh, misdemeanor sentence enhancement that doesn't do a thing, you know, the uh, and, and the idea that we don't prosecute people enough in this country—we got uh, what percentage of the population locked up?
3: Oh, good grief! That that breaks down by eight, race twenty percent.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's a it's a it's a tremendous, staggering number of people who are incarcerated. And um, you know, at the same time, and and I'm gonna be a little rough on Cam on this one because there was a comment in there, in that article from him saying that everybody agrees that uh, police officers should be covered under the hate crime statute. Well, here he is working on sentence enhancement at the same time he's proposing uh, sentencing uh, guidelines, uh, which are particular, which most of them are. Reductions, or at least making sure that we get consistent um, uh, sentences across the state, because they were having situations where you got caught with pot in Gulf Shores, and you got a year in jail, and you got caught with pot in Jasper, and uh, you know, they'd not process a damn thing on payment of court costs. So uh, th- that was one reason for it, but but mainly it was to uh, loosen up some of these sentencing guidelines. So that uh, people didn't go to jail for the rest of their life because, uh, because they peddled in chemicals that the government says are bad for you.
3: Well, I'm not going to get into the because that's a whole other show we can do on that sort of thing. But, you know, you banish, banish the privatized for-profit prison system, get rid of it, absolutely eliminate it. There's people in jail. I saw this as a meme the other day, and I'll stand on anybody's coffee table and shout at the top of my lungs there are marijuana dispensaries in this country that are run better than Apple stores. And because of that, there's a lot of people that need to be out of jail right now. And the only reason they're in jail is because of the privatized and for profit prison system. You want to help law enforcement
2: take away for profit prisons. Now look, you're, you're sounding we like guys, a crazy person oh. like Eisenhower or something range. <laughs> Don't use your damn brain on this. We need all these people in jail for just as long as we can just get them there. Keep,
1: let's just keep building those jails.
2: All right, I, I need to kick Mr. Elliot one more time. So, so Paul calls him the tax man. Now, of course, he ran as a Republican, and the first thing he did when he got in there was support the uh, mil, $100 million gas tax increase, right? Right. And then... Uh, what what was the other thing? That he oh, supported? the other one was uh, the education one
1: oh, percent tax. Remember that? Oh
2: yeah, but not even better. But better than that, remember he was the inside man going to keep this damn two billion dollar bridge project going. Right, All right. Which he flipped on <laughs> Which, immediately. And then and then of course the governor's like, you can't deliver. You're off the committee, and
1: that's exactly what's going on here. He's like I said, he's trying to polish a, a tarnished badge, if you would.
2: All right, what do you call a tax and spend Republican. A tax and sp- there you go, Reigns. and that's the other thing that I want to point out. All of these hate crime laws have come from the left, and they've been around so long we don't even recognize them as that. And you got some guy who says, "Oh, I'm so far right." Uh, you know, Reagan can't touch me except it's tax and spend. When's the last time you heard anybody say anything about deficit spending? (laughs) We're supposed to have a Republican in the white house. I ain't heard nobody's hand wringing about that. Not even my boy, you know, our boy, Dan Crenshaw that we are, our last hope. Um, he's all on that (laughs) stuff too. All right. So we're going to switch gears here. Um, Paul, It's only you, buddy. All right. Well, uh, the 23rd
1: of December, I was feeling a little bit better after this operation. I went to the uh, city council to speak with them. And the present-day situation in in Fairhope, and I want people to understand this because I say a lot of negative things uh, about the council and everything, but I want to make it perfectly clear that – uh, fair hope today, the mayor is a public servant. The mayor has not been involved in one single scandal where she has taken bids or taking jobs or giving jobs to somebody else. And if it hadn't been for her in her position, uh, this council would have been even more rogue than it is. Uh, also today, uh, as well as since I think about, 90, about 06 or 07, the city clerk is excellent. And that's probably one of the very, uh, one of the jobs that uh, most people don't realize. And now
2: her ass is out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Paul Ripp says you're, you're too good. Uh, Yeah, yeah, true, true. You just painted a target on that poor woman.
1: Well, I know, but I'm thinking, you know, the mayor's a woman, the city clerk's a woman, and uh, the five men up there aren't doing a damn bit of good. Uh, you have an excellent staff. The, the employees and staff of Fairhope now, and I've been doing this for a little over 15 years, uh, are probably better now, uh, and some of those replaced needed to be replaced, uh, but they're really better now, and the morale of the city is better. The problem is the city council, and the biggest problem with the city council is that the Jack Burrell, the president of the city council, has maintained that office, for over eight years, he has not shared the council president with anyone at any time. He has uh, held that position hostage as well as what he as well as he's on the uh, airport board. and that's another one. Now, coming up in the 2020 election, uh, the qualification for 2020 in the municipal elections is going to be July 7th to July 21st. The election is actually August August. 25th, and a runoff would be the 6th of October. Uh, What I'm hoping for is that we are going to have many women that are going to run for office and some minorities. We desperately need that. Uh, People need to understand that the city council is the one that appoints the municipal attorney and the municipal judge, and the municipal attorney and the municipal judge that are presently uh, uh, in office are the same ones that have been there for 10 or 15 years, the same firms, the same good old boy candidates. And when we uh, had a change of mayor here in 2016, we wanted to change, a lot of people wanted to change, the city attorney as well as the uh, municipal uh, judge, and the city council again. Jack Burrell stepped in, wouldn't have anything to do with it, and uh, appointed them again. So here we are again. Now, um, I when I went, you'll see a, a segment of the council meeting at the end of the, today's podcast. Uh, but
2: have you watched that rains? The,
1: oh yeah, I love but, it, oh. <laughs> but, but anyway, this 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 is factual. The city council, when they first started, they were—they're established bullies. The what they did in the first nine months uh, with the mayor and the way that they treated the mayor, and the mayor is a woman, and the way they spoke to her, and uh, was classic bullying, absolutely classic bullying. Their oath of office says that they're going to abide by the Constitution of the United States. They didn't do that. They were taken to court for not allowing someone to speak at a city council and they were found guilty in federal court. They had to settle the case. That's your tax dollars. The same one, the same council has repeatedly overlooked any type of conflict of interest, anything to do with the Alabama ethics code. There's no transparency. There's no accountability. The municipal judge is, there's three different canons of judicial ethics that are very questionable because now the municipal judge is the largest developer in Fairhope. Now, he is developing a piece of property, I think it's about 79 acres, and it was approved in 15 minutes. This is by a council now that appointed the judge. So now the council is voting on the judge-slash-developer's project okay so uh, it it made me think about a conversation i had years ago a a prominent attorney in fairhope told me he said rip if you keep digging around you're going to find out two things i think to be true he said one the elections around here have been rigged 08 012 people were very suspicious of them and uh in 16 we were able to get the secretary of state to come down and it did change but he said the other thing is You have to understand that Fairhope is run by the good old boys. And as a criminal enterprise, I thought, you know, criminal enterprise, I'll look that up. Now, the FBI defines a criminal enterprise as, quote, a group of individuals with an identified hierarchy or structure engaged in significant criminal activity. Well, I can take the word hierarchy and take the word structure and insert catalyst or good old boys. All five of the council members of Fairhope are directly embedded and involved with Catalyst. And Catalyst is a political group that tries to run block block candidates to where they can control as much of the uh, municipal government or county, county government, be it whichever one it is. So in this upcoming election, people need to really pay attention to what's going on. We just had, you know, a $2.65 million purchase by the City Council of Recreation Land. That was done in opposition to any community engagement Nobody got to voice anything. Only three councilmen, Burrell, Boone, and Brown, approved the $2.65 million, million. The connectivity, the walkability, the park, the par- parks, all disagreed with the location. The council pushed it ahead as fast as they could, and then they closed as fast as they could on the money to come up with the 2.65, which we did not have, Come up with a 2.65. Now, here, get this, and I'm not making this up. The resolution this last week at the City Council meeting is that the Fairhope City Council, hereby authorized, it's Jack Burrell, that's president, on behalf of the City Council to negotiate a temporary farming rights lease for the approximate 114 acres of land located on the northwest corner of County Road 13 and 32. Now, that's the recreational land. And that the lease shall carve out allowances to withdraw certain provisions of the land from the lease agreement when said portions of the land are designated and needed for public use. What they're saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that they just paid $2.65 million worth of land. They have no money to do anything with it. And now... They want to lease it for
2: farming. You reckon that lease is going to cover the debt service on that two point six million range? Huh?
3: Well, here, there's no way. Let me let me tell you real quick, Paul. The Catalyst Group is a political machine, correct? And the terminology you used earlier to define a criminal enterprise was actually put forward under the RICO statutes, correct? And one thing I am sure of is that the Justice Department of the United States is not going to come down and intervene in Fairhope, Alabama. The only thing that's going to change that is this coming election. Now, I'm going to commission you to come up right, ready for the first of the year, the official RIP Report Voter's Guide for 2020. And I want a list of candidates that people can vote for to get this criminal enterprise dethroned. From the
1: city hall of Fairhope, of Fairhope, Alabama. I can promise you that that will be the center of our attention on 2020. Uh, people have got to understand uh, how dangerous it would be if uh, this group goes in. This is the, this is by far no comparison, not even remotely close, the worst city council that uh, we have ever had. So uh, I promise you that's coming. That's coming up, but. Uh, all right. Rather than harp on that, you want to get on something a little bit easier? No,
2: I want to bitch more. All right. <laughs> um, Shocker. Did y'all see? Uh, you remember Mr. Moon, Alabama political reporter? He was on with us oh, one day. Rains. Josh Moon. Yeah, Josh Moon. So he's written a scathing, what I call an ass burner, of a of an an article. About the performance of Alabama's Attorney General, mm-hmm. have y'all read it?
1: <laughs> I have not. I've not read Ooh, it. But, I shared uh, it on
2: Facebook. We're gonna throw it up on our uh, backstory podcast well, Facebook well, page. Let,
1: let me let me just inject there that Mr. Robert Brown, councilman with the Fairhope City Council, this is a Brown, Boone, and Burrell. We call them the Three Bs. Right. Mr. Brown took a contract for the Art Center in Fairhope. He claimed there was multiple bids, and there wasn't. We have turned that complaint in to the Attorney General, and they have a printed complaint. That I, complaint have it, I have it here. And that complaint is going to be put up on our website with an amendment that is going to be going out very soon. This is part of why I say it's a criminal enterprise. Everyone on that council knows what Mr. Brown did, and yet they turn a blind eye to it.
2: All right, so let's talk about this. Here's the appraisal for real property that the, uh, the city of Fairhope relied on to buy their $2.6 million worth of recreational land. Uh, one of our friends in common came and picked old broke-wing Paul up. He can't do much. Took him, out to, uh, took him out to this recreation land, walked him around, and what did y'all find?
1: Well, the first thing he told
2: me, he said, I want you to look at the
1: land. He said, what do you notice is different? And at first, I didn't understand what he was asking me. He said, no, look close. And then I noticed that there were two areas in this 114 acres where it looked like there were scrubs and maybe willows or oaks. But right in the middle of everything, there's this growth. And I said, well, why is that not plowed under? He said, that's the location of two separate springs on the land.
2: So they got artesian wells on the property, kind of in the middle, not like over yeah. the side or yeah. whatever. And they didn't. Even, now that would be a major impediment if you were going to put a soccer field there. You couldn't put it anywhere near that spring. It might be an asset if you found some way to utilize the water or whatever. Oh, but well. for the most part, um, it's just a big old damn wet spot that you're never going to be able well, to do anything. Maybe
1: with. the council's smarter than us. Maybe they have plans
2: for an aquatic. Fair park. hope artesian water. Park. I can see it now. <laughs> the teaser it's water flash pad. Yeah. All right. Well, the other the, no, no, I'm not done bitching yet, All Paul. Right. Go ahead. So you you haven't had an opportunity, but Paul did. He he came here to the house today. So tell us your impression of the big ass red barn coming in here to the only. Uh, oh, out loud! Here we go. Yep. Well, I you know burr under my saddle. I don't blame you. You know, you live in
1: a neighborhood. you got, uh, you're wanting the neighborhood to clean the yards and everybody park accordingly. No, no hell, thrash. I just don't.
2: I want them to not let people build uh, a 8,000 square foot metal building next to my friend's $300,000 house. And then paint it blood red. Well, barn red. Yeah, barn, yeah. barn red. So uh, here I have, uh, and also uh, we had a new Yahoo move in the neighborhood. We have a homeowners association. Of course, they hardly do anything. Um, anyway, uh, if you have, and I wish we did have the window crack because it's expensive as hell. If you do decide to have a fence in this neighborhood, you have to, uh, you can't have posts to hold it up. You have to have brick pillars, Right. Imagine how expensive that is. So this Jake leg just went. You know we got this nice wrought iron, or I guess it's aluminum. It looks like wrought iron. Um, very expensive. This guy just went and threw up a monolithic. He, he went on his property line and put up a, a regular wood privacy fence, which is illegal. And of course, our homeowners association board knows it's illegal. There's just so much illegal stuff in the subdivision. They don't know where to start, and we couldn't enforce it. So I don't know. We're thinking we're contemplating a little uh, civil action in that thing, and then finally, if I hadn't been moving all my stuff, um, we have these documents that we got from the uh, North Northbound Utilities attorney, and uh, we gonna be whittling on some uh, some letters to the the state, various agencies about that, and then finally. Um, I want everybody to run out uh, and buy one of these if you live in Baymanette. You you ever (laughs) seen one of these before? (laughs) Are you on a commission here? I'm not (laughs) on a commission. Um, But this is a cop cam. Uh, It's just a little miniaturized camera, and it comes with a little clip. You can put it on your shirt. You can set it on the shelf. You can hit record and set it on your dash when the police officer walks up to your window. Um, But anyway... I mean, they they got these on the as seen on TV aisle, and they do. They come with an eight megabit, uh, oh, 32 gigabit memory card in it. So anyway, it's not bad. It, it, it's it's uh, it works for for the intended purpose. Um, you go for
1: it. Okay, look something a little lighter without slamming politicians and everything. Again, in Lanyap, this was uh, about two weeks ago, I think. I know this was when I was uh, down and out. Uh, there was an article written by Ben Rains, Sunken Treasure. It's a reporter's remarkable account of found, finding America's last slave ship. That's the Clotilda. And uh, Mr. Raines, if you've ever read any of his stuff, it's just really very, very good reading. Uh, He's been involved in many different things. He even runs tours into the uh, Delta and is an expert in it. But this is is, uh, particularly about the slave ship. And earlier, uh, he had thought that he had found it. Turned out that he didn't. He had to eat a little crow and he went right back to looking for it again. And it tells how he ran into it finally and how they were able to
2: so, identify it. So, for the people in Alaska who don't know anything about this, the Clotilda was the name of a ship that ran. The blockade was there a blockade of Mobile correct. Bay at the time? Correct, but it was definitely illegal to bring slaves into this country at the time. I correct. think you could have them, but you couldn't bring anybody else in. This was Does that sound right?
1: The, this yeah, this was yeah. one of the last. Uh, it was
2: the last, right? And, and so and they got the 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 Feds got on their ass, and it, and it's not like a, you know you're in a schooner. It ain't like you can take a dirt road, so they ran the thing aground in the cane breaks. Set turned everybody loose, and burned the ship to the waterline, and it sank.
1: But what I found interesting about it is, uh, especially being involved in diving most of my life, uh, is just the problems and complications he went through. Uh, Mr. Raines tried to be forward and, you know, talked to the Alabama Historical Commission, uh, National Geographic, uh, Southern Mississippi uh, people, and uh, University of Southern Mississippi. And... Try to come up with the uh, I know somebody facts, that
2: speaks their language. Yeah, you
1: know, about the Clotilde. <laughs> and um, I had a run-in, and he had run-ins with the Alabama Historical Commission, as I did many years ago. As I did many 70s. years ago when they sued me. Right. I had it over uh, a couple of times. And both times, uh, I was determined after then never to contact the Alabama Historical Commission. That's the last thing I would ever do because of the way that they treated anyone. But... I would encourage you to read the article. It is very, very good. It's uh, quite long. Uh, Mr. Raines has other things that he worked on. Uh, one is the um, Selma Munitions Factory, uh, that's right under the Pettus Bridge in mm-hmm. Selma. And uh, oddly enough, in 1970, going to show my age now, 1973, I think it was, my dive shop in Birmingham, Alabama, the Riptide dive center we used to actually run trips to selma and dive on this foundry site and i can tell you that the visibility is only probably about 18 inches and this is the same thing that uh mr rains found uh about uh the looking for this ship it has a picture of him standing in waist deep water or not waist deep but just about mid chest uh, uh, water and you can look six inches down and you can't see anything so if you think going out and putting on a wetsuit and 50 degree water Uh, 55 something like that 60 and then you're looking for something that you can't see or identify i can tell you it is an extremely hard task it is nothing there's nothing easy about it at all and when you've been doing it for two or three days and you have to make that last dive and you have to get back in that water again i can tell you it takes a lot of guts but if you want something that's uh take you a little bit away from the politics and very interesting to read about the um, history of this ship and how it's related to Mobile, uh, I would recommend the article highly. I, I hope that we can have Mr. Raines on uh, sometime on a podcast where we are, you know, just talking about the diving and everything.
2: So, so Raines, when was the uh, advent of the PDF file extension?
3: When was the advent of well, the PDF? when did when did PDFs
2: it, become a thing? I think
3: uh, I think Adobe launched that right after the Oracle acquisition. I think that would have been about nineteen
2: eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Okay, I'm talking about when it became mainstream when people would oh, it attach mainstream, PDFs Probably, and, probably about ninety nine two thousand. Okay, so that sounds about right because I, I was working for the city of Gulf Shores and there was a guy that worked at B and K Engineering with my buddy Trevor and he had what he claimed was his grandfather's captain's log or memoirs, and his grandfather was the captain of the Clotilda. And so we took it and scanned it and made a PDF of it, and I tried to find it. I'm sure I've got it somewhere on the thumb drive or something. But for years, you know, we were up knocking around the Delta, and uh, certain times during the summertime, uh, the water level gets relatively low um where you might have three or four feet of bank exposed during a real low tide um or when there's north wind blowing so um there have been a lot of people looking for this thing for a long time and i've probably identified five or six different you know wrecks or whatever you want to call them uh nautical structures uh, from time to time, and turns out none of those none of those were them. But I think that you they found out the actual the dimensions, what kind of wood it was made out of. They did a lot of things to to bonify this. So um, I, I think feel I feel confident it's they found cool. it.
3: I read the article based on the guy's name alone. He's got a fantastic name. So
0: I'm going to read <laughs> it on that.
3: I, I uh I had a run in with uh, some shipwrecking in the Mobile Bay. I worked with a captain who will rename remain didn't nameless. You, didn't you think a shrimp boat? I did. I grew up working on a shrimp boat, but I, I worked, uh, worked with a captain who ran a hopper dredge when they were dredging out the uh, Mobile Bay. And, uh, this was quite a while back. And, uh, he was picking up just huge scoops of the bottom, you know, and taking it to deep water. And, uh, man, he'd come up and he said, man, this is a heavy load. It looks like we got some trees in it. And the deckhand come up and said, Cap, Looks like we got some pretty big logs in here, and they're pretty heavy. Well, look, little closer examination. They the chained together. Out of a cannon sticking out.
2: Oh man! And
3: it rusted and tore up and busted and everything else, but it was a snout of an old cannon. And they said, "Well, who should we uh, who should we call?" And my buddy, the captain, said, "You better call your ass back out on that deck. And dump that damn load. We ain't calling nobody, partner. We got a job to do. There you They'll go. hang up up, and red tag this thing, and the Alabama Historical Commission to get involved, and that'll be the end of this job." He said, I want to keep
2: it, so just let it go, and we'll dig it up another time. Let somebody else dig it up. All right. I want to uh, to switch gears. I'll go this. Huh? Go this last one, then. He no, let's, get, let's, let's right. get this one first. Go ahead. Uh, so I've been telling you guys from the jump to go watch a movie called Hot Coffee, and of all the damn people in the world, Paul Rip has not gone and watched Hot Coffee. So
1: I haven't had internet for a week. We're gonna
2: play. Uh, we're gonna play the uh, trailer. I guess this this may be several years old, um, but if uh, we'll we'll give them credit on, on the screen. So uh, Nick, whenever you're ready with that, go ahead and run it.
1: And then we'll come back to Renaissance Woman. An 81 year old woman has been awarded 2.9 million dollars after she sued McDonald's.
3: It wasn't like the McDonald's employee took the coffee, threw it on her.
0: Who brings these frivolous lawsuits? All kinds of people.
3: People that are jackpot justice oriented. The media in corporate America did a masterful job. Mrs. Liebeck became a joke.
2: Businesses use a number of devices to keep the public out of the courts.
0: In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again for the truth to sink in, to kind of catapult the propaganda.
1: I was burned so severely
0: that uh, they didn't think I would live.
2: Are you going to show me the burns? What? Yes, if I saw injuries like that, I would definitely uh, take a different view of it. She was drugged. She was raped,
3: gang raped. She had to have reconstructive surgery, sir.
0: Miss Jones has had her day in court.
3: Four years to fight to get in court is not a day in court.
1: The Appeal was a book I published completely fiction, and it's completely true. It's a story of the purchasing of a Supreme Court seat in Mississippi.
3: It's a good payoff. You put money in a judicial race, it can have literally a million dollar impact on your company.
2: The US Chamber mounted a very, very large and expensive campaign against me.
0: When you're pregnant with twins, it's really important to determine how many placentas. When I went in, it should have been immediately followed up with an ultrasound. You, you, you just want to change what happened, knowing that it was preventable. To go to court and to sue You have to go through a lot of trouble to do it. It affects your life. You're going to be attacked in all kinds of ways. Going to court to gain justice is heroic.
2: So hopefully that gives you some perspective on what we're up against in the legal system. Um, all right. So everybody go watch hot coffee. It's your homework. Um, one of the issues that I wanted to run over with you rain. So, uh, Spanish Ford, Alabama, um, you know where it is. It's just North of Daphne, North yeah. of i Um, really grown up a lot it was a little sleepy bedroom community for a long time and now they have two major malls that are located in spanish fort um so they have a, a good bit of revenue and uh there's been a lot of growth um even up 225 that uh, uh that can be attributed to um the the city of spanish fort um so the interesting thing in this in uh, this story to me is the mayor on October 1st allegedly slaps the city magistrate. Mysteriously, right. 10 days later, the chief of police, who's like 52 years old and got 10 years on the force, decides he's going to retire because he doesn't have a good reason. He's it's just going to retire.
1: Coincidence.
2: Coincidentally. So then uh, by the end of the month, this story comes out. He's been charged by the sheriff's department. um they, they all these judges recuse themselves they go get judge go blow the dust off judge reed he's supposed to have a hit you know, they're supposed to go forward everybody brings in a tv screen this is as ridiculous as the uh denardi uh uh yep. issue with uh knocking the girl off the bar Knocking the girl. there's a damn sharing. video of it so why didn't they show the video so here's how it goes he shows up with David Connor, who is the city attorney. Now, you may recall Mr. Connor because Mr. Connor is none other than the registered lobbyist for Bowen County Sewer Service. Right. So, yeah. what if I told you that the city of Spanish Fort is com- completely reliant on Bowen County Sewer Service for all of its sewer infrastructure? Conflict do, do you think it's coincidental that uh, Mr. Connor is the attorney there? I think it's coincidental <laughs> that he's no longer attorney
1: for the county. Well, that's a good thing.
2: <laughs> but anyway, but okay. So, 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 uh. um, they get to court and uh, they start him hawing about whether or not David Connor has a privilege, um, or uh, 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 an attorney client. Privilege issue with being a witness, a criminal witness in this case. So, do you think that David Connor works for the mayor of Spanish Fort, or he works for the council of Spanish Fort, or the people of Spanish Fort?
3: By by rote, he works for the city. He works for the the people that.
2: So why would the mayor have some kind of special privilege where he couldn't tell? Of course, unless, of course, there's some bigger cover-up, like why the police chief got fired, why the hell nobody knows anything about this for a month. And then and all they got to do, uh, that was the other thing. I found this thing on channel uh, WKRG5 where one of the reporters was allowed to watch the video. So why the hell isn't the video just public? They're going to let a reporter watch it but not record. Not record it and he well,
3: claimed there's Harry. You, 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 speaking of dusting things off, rub- dust off your rules of evidentiary procedure. Uh, you can't make you can't release things like that to the public because man, I, sh- why dare a jury after a tape like that's been released? There's no way,
2: okay? It's You've not got- gonna, it's not gonna be a jury trial. I seriously doubt But but what I'm saying
3: is that the law says you can't, uh, you can't release things that are involved in active that's evidence in an active criminal investigation. Okay.
2: Well, they should expedite this thing and everybody who was going to show up at that hearing knew that there might have been an issue for that. And all it takes is a 30 second phone call to the general counsel of the Alabama state bar to get an answer.
3: Well, let me, let me read in Paul on this. I know you've been dealing with your surgery, but there's a similar case, uh, in a smaller, less important, uh, House of the legislature, the U.S. Senate, right now, that's going to have a lot of uh, uh, impact on how attorney client privilege is viewed. I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff. It may have been on the news. I don't know. Uh, But the. uh, Potentially. I might have caught some of it. That's just another example of not enough people reading the damn newspaper. I swear to God. If something like that happened where I live, I'm just the social media alone would light fire everywhere. I don't understand something like that can just go and everybody in town seems to be all right with it. You pull something like that in the city of Houston, and they'd be demonstrating on the courthouse steps. Yeah. But down there in Spanish Fort, you know, I guess they they too busy trying to keep Foley off their back. And uh, I I I don't I don't get it. I, I don't just, get it
2: either. I don't get it either because this woman who is a city employee and a magistrate in the police, you know, works with the police department is being subjected to having to get a paycheck from some guy that allegedly slapped her in the face. It's how how, how ridiculous is that please, on film? Tell
3: me, there is a video of it. That's what I'm There's saying. So let's, him doing- so
2: let's watch it. If it shows nothing, if it shows that it exonerates, him, just show it. And in, in the case of, uh- and that'd be the end of the case, right, Reigns? Well, if it doesn't, then you would keep under the rules of evidence. Potentially, you wouldn't want to show that to everybody in the county if it showed right. a strike.
3: Yeah, it's it's you know, they're going to hem all on this and they're going to tie it up. Because talk about a hostile work
2: environment lawsuit. You
3: know, if, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And the fact that they don't want that they're that they're hanging up on the 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 rules of of privilege versus public comment and everything else, that 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 means something's rotten in Denmark. And well, if you can't see that, my God, I don't know why the people of that city aren't just banging on the courthouse door saying, why, what is, let's get it out. Put well, it out there. We want to see what's going on. What happened to the police chief? What is all this stuff?
2: You know, Gabe Time. We'll never know. We will out, never, out ever know.
3: Well, get it's out just. There and start banging on doors, man. Get some comments. Talk to people out in the bushes and behind the jail and whatnot. That's how you go out and get stories like
1: that. Yeah, well, this God. is. Uh... <laughs> You know, much the same with the uh, Mac Sherry case. Now, that that video actually circulated on social media over and over and over again. And we put it on our podcast that, you know, here's what happened. Well, the defense attorney, what he's trying to do now is say it's a criminal conspiracy. And who's he want to subpoena? Lanyap. The attorneys. Myself. What the hell did we have to do with it other than report the news? But that is the mentality.
2: Or do Let's our go. job. How about this? How about this, Reigns? How about uh, Mr. Pittman's theory that my communica- that that me advocating on behalf of my client who was the victim of a crime, was somehow political. And somehow there's this conspiracy between me, Rip, the Lanyap newspaper, and uh, the mayor. Oh, the mayor of Fairhope. And and I guess uh, I've invented time travel. I get in my DeLorean and go back to 1932 when the city of Fairhope adopted the damn criminal code. It's asinine, okay? There's no conspiracy other than... Drunk idiots ought not to knock women off bar stools with no consequence. And this man has,
1: that? And this man has had four or five convictions and was on probation.
2: Now, we don't. I don't know about all that. I, I didn't do. know he was on probation for the Nall incident when it happened. All right. All right. Let's go to another one of... Uh, hold on. Let me play some harp music. No. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud, get to the bit. <laughs> I can't find it. Well, you need to practice.
1: (laughs) All these sound effects, nothing more. Another article through uh, Lanyap, the Christmas edition, uh, quite fitting for the Christmas edition, not a political uh, article or anything. Uh, It's called uh, Renaissance Woman. Uh, Speaking of Fran Newman, uh, Miss Newman's 92 years old. Hopefully any of us will be doing the same thing as she does. Uh, locals may have seen her work in the front of Daphne City Hall or atop the bluff in Fairhope's Utopia Park. Most recently, she left her mark inside the Fairhope Public Library, but Fran Newman uh, has an international audience long before she sculpted the statue of the mythological nymph who shares her name in Jubilee City or before she immortalized organic educator in Fairhope, Marietta Johnson, or just recently, the library founder, Maria Howard in Bronze, Newman broke into the art industry by designing displays in the 1964 New York World's Fair. Now, these bronzes are handmade. These aren't molds made off of people's face. This is starting from scratch, studying the sculpture and doing it by hand and then having it fired. It's a very long process, Uh, as much as nine months just for a head or a sculpture. Uh, But one of the things that shows you of her international reputation, she's the one that designed the Chicken of the Sea logo. Now, that's all the way around the world. Everybody knows that. And then the other one that she designed was the Play-Doh insignia for Play-Doh, with the little relieved guy, and I thought that was very clever because play dough. And then what she did was made the uh, uh, play dough out of raised letters, uh, which you know looked a lot like the play dough. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, has come across because of this. Uh, article. And and again, it's just like Mr. Rains's article. I encourage you to go get a lanyap and read the article. It's very, very enjoyable. But uh, one of the things that has come about by this, since the women have been, um, uh, the Marietta Johnson and the library have already been done, uh, the chairperson, Wendy Solomon, is establishing a nonprofit, uh, notably uh, for Fairhope Women, and the nom- nominations will be for First Women of Fairhope. And this will be a uh, new uh, bronze that will be done, and three people have been uh, nominated so far. Uh, Nancy Lewis, which is a former slave, and she just had a, a very nice dedication of a historic plaque on the uh, coastal campus in Fairhope. Uh, she originally owned the land, was sold uh, to single tax, single tax, then sold it again. But she was one of the very first people. And then, of course, Police Chief uh, uh, Fairhope, uh, Stephanie Hollingshead, who worked her way up through the ranks. Uh, she's the first female police chief. And, of course, the mayor, Karen Wilson. Uh Meanwhile, Newman's uh, not coy about her age and her last terracotta standing about a foot tall was finished around Halloween. I thought this was pretty good. Uh, it depicts a cloaked and featureless grim reaper clutching a, uh, what do call it? A sl- uh, ah, the sleigh? Uh, scythe. Yeah, scythe. Scythe, never can get that. And at 92 years old, she said, I guess you never know how much time you have left, she said. I feel fine. It's all in keeping busy. But I wanted to do death just to acknowledge it. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good for someone 92 that can think that way. But we'll be looking to hear from uh, Wendy Solomon. As I understand it, they're going to set up a, a nonprofit and also a Facebook page, First Women of Fair Hope. And maybe by the next podcast, we'll find out who the next uh, first woman of Fairhope is going to be recognized. Uh, Again, I'd like to slip in there that I sure hope there's a lot of women in Fairhope that uh, may be interested in public service. And will run against any of the uh, five city council people who absolutely need to see their term end at the end of 2020.
2: So, I have something very unfortunate to talk about. Um, Christmas Eve, some friends of mine, I say friends of mine, they're kids that I've watched grow up, and they're now young men. Uh, We're heading home from a duck hunting trip. Their vehicle left the road, and uh, Will Brooks, uh, fine young man, gentleman, polite, respectful, promising future, uh, died of his injuries, uh, his friend Sawyer McCullough was airlifted to USA Medical Center where he's in stable condition. I know a little uh, – anyway, I'm not going to go into his condition other than he's stable and uh, in really ragged shape. So let's have a good thought for him and, and keep the Brooks family uh, in your thoughts as well. Um, just really, really good, promising young man, and he and just is so – terrible and especially at this time of year um just hadn't been a very good christmas around here so maybe 2020 will be better um and i don't know the arrangements yet but uh the most dangerous thing you do is drive absolutely Absolutely. most dangerous thing you do um well on that note i'm gonna turn it over to paul and I i guess our outro is gonna be paul's uh crazy old man ran it Fairhope City Council meeting. I'm totally in favor. I thought it was fantastic, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So uh, we're gonna let y'all watch this video, and uh, we will see you next time. That's podcast fifteen. Fifteen. Who knew?
1: And we might be sending. Uh, we might be sending this to the district attorney and the attorney general. This
2: particular podcast. Shit. I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste a flash drive or a stamp. <laughs> No, you got to keep. You got
1: to keep on keeping on.
2: Sooner or right, later, yep. you get their attention. Yep. I'm have just... a good New Year, everybody. Yep. Have a good one, guys. Here,
1: Francis Rip two two nine eight five High Ridge Road Rip Report and uh, Backstory Podcast number six and number twelve. On number six, how many units is that?
3: Forty-two
1: residential, one commercial. That I don't. None of you we were on the council when Wendell uh, uh, Barnhill started this project. He changed it three times. He did it right every single time he came back. He went to planning and zoning. He did everything that was called upon him throughout the entire number of years, which is about six or seven now that he's been dealing with this. But, and I have no problem with his project, but I can tell you what the problem's going to be for Wendell. When they built the Publix, they broke every rule there was. Every single rule there was, they took out the right-of-ways. Oh, also Wendell was supposed to have a tree survey, which he had to pay for, but you know what happened with the tree survey on the Publix, property? It was hidden by the planning department. Then when it was discovered, the tree committee assessed over a $900,000 value on the number of trees that was taken down. Nobody did anything. The other thing they did was they changed the entrance. Just whatever the hell they wanted to do over there at Publix, they did. So they changed the entrance. Where would they put the entrance? Right in front of his property. So now, you have 600 people that are going to be up at their apartments. You have 48 townhomes, and they're going to try to get out on Parker Road. Now, right now, the citizens up there in that area, 50 of us, its going to increase 10, 15-fold. You talk about traffic, Jack, look at Parker Road. You guys are responsible for that right there, and it's going to get worse. No one did anything to Mr. Cordy, the road, Parker Road, has yet to be mitigated at all and is a responsibility of the developer. He has done nothing to repair anything there and the issues involved are Dot, the county, the city, pedestrian walkways, I mean, you got a real serious problem there. No one's paying any attention. What did Mr. What did he do, what did Wendell do? He went and bought a rear exit. He made sure he could get out on his property and the people that were, he was selling to had a way to get out. They're not gonna get out on Parker Road. They're not gonna do it. We already got it jammed up now, you can't get in. Public's gonna feel the strain and so is everybody else. They're already cutting through the public's parking lot because they can't get out on 98. Just imagine when they open it. And when they open it, you better be sure that the certificate of occupancy is for the entire project finished. Not open pieced meal, finish a building, and then allow them to do what they want to do. Until they mitigate Parker Road. That is a serious problem there. You got a fire station up there. That fire truck can't get out of there. Ain't no damn way he can make that intersection down there. If it's, if it's blocked, it's blocked. And he can't force them out of the intersection either. That's on number six. On number 12, who, who are you leasing? Who are you thinking is going to lease this farmland that you just paid $2.65 million to? Who's interested in it, Jack? There are farmers that are interested in it. The farmer that owned it? Uh, I, I'm not at liberty to say. Yeah. Well, if it's the farmer that owned it, then why in the world didn't you do a lease to purchase? Well, let me tell you, it's not the farmer that owned it. He's expressed no interest in it. So we're going to lease it. Five years, that's how I think how long you had the last one. You had to buy that property 2.65, get out there, close it, finish the in, deal. In, anything that I do, I'll just tell you this, too, would be a, a one-year with provisions of less time. You ain't going to do anything on that property for years, and you know it. And you know it. Right. You know, see. so far... This year, within the last six months especially, you guys established yourself early on as bullying the mayor, and not until the black preacher showed up and called you down did you start slowing down on it. You violated your oath of office. Conflict of interest is right out the door. Alabama ethics code, you're against that. Transparency and accountability, no way. Canons of judicial, judicial ethics, no way. You had to go to federal court because you wouldn't allow anybody to speak, and you lost that and had to pay that and the law fees. Yeah, you think it's funny, it huh, is. Jack? Real funny. That was taxpayer money. what you're saying is real funny. Community engagement? Nothing. Lying to your constituents? Quite often. And I started thinking, you know, what, 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 how what could I— What is this related I, to? What is this related yes, to? Sir. This what, is related to number 12. In what way? This What do you mean in what way? This kind of goes in the whole thing. Every one of these things goes with it, Jack. Every one of them. But you know, about four or five years ago, a very prominent attorney told me, he said, I'll tell you something, Rip, there's two things going on here. One, they're rigging the elections. And two, they operate this town like a criminal enterprise. Well, in '08, they suspected rig elections. In 12, they did again. But, in sixteen, we were ahead on the Secretary of State. And he came down here and oversaw the elections, and you had a real big difference, didn't you? So I started thinking, well, how can you know what to, uh, what would be a good explanation to this council? The FBI did not, defines a criminal enterprise as a group of individuals with an identified hierarchy or structure engaged in significant Criminal activity. I submit to you that a hierarchy, or the structure, is the good old boys and cat- catalyst. Now, a lot of people—you've got a lot of people hoodwinked—but I can yeah. assure you, I'm going to spend the rest of 2020 making sure that they understand. Thank it. you for your comments, sir. Yeah. Does anyone else want to address agenda items five through 27?